Hello and welcome to a show of their own sports and life with Morgan and Laura. I'm Morgan. And I'm Laura and I'm back from vacation. <laughs> <laughs> you know it kind of feels like it's been a long time since we recorded even though it hasn't really been that it's long. Been but it's two been two weeks since we've actually recorded. Yeah. But you guys, it's going to be a lot less than that because we timed it out a little bit. So yeah and it's been it feels like it's been a long time since we've done sports update episode. <laughs> So we'll start with a few MLB things. Um, Some of these I think are from last week. Some might be two-ish weeks old, but still relevant. Um, So I'll get the first thing out of the way because it's a Trevor Bauer related thing, but um, it's more of an unwritten rules issue again. And surprisingly, it's Fernando Tatis Jr. is the culprit of it. Um, so I think this is like two weeks ago now, um, Tati Jr. hit a home, hit two home runs maybe off of Trevor Bauer and he was running around the bases and he covered one eye when he did it, poking fun at Trevor Bauer during spring training, saying he was going to pitch with one eye closed. Um, surprisingly, Bauer said he did not have a problem with that and, you know, let the players play whatever like he did he apparently vlogs after his starts on his own youtube channel that's a thing um and so i was actually surprised that he was like okay with it but also i don't really fully buy that he's was okay with it because then like the next day he suddenly had a complaint about it and that he thinks that tatis jr apparently looked at knew the pitch was coming because he looked at the signals the catcher was giving which first of all that's it's an unwritten rule that you don't look at the signals that the pitchers and the catchers are giving and like I I kind of get it because like you would know it's coming but also I'm pretty sure every team has slightly different signals well and also okay if he looks at the catcher it's either going to be obvious, in which case change your signs yeah. and like throw like do something to trick him, or if it's not obvious, that's honestly a pretty impressive skill. If you can look without being obvious that you're like that's a right. skill. So either way, I don't really have a problem because either the Bauer and the catcher were exceedingly dumb, or Tatis was just like a stealth super agent, in which case more power to right. you, I guess. Um and. So then on The Athletic, they talked to um, three former catchers about it, which I kind of love when they do this because usually they're like, it's no big deal, whatever. Um, And so one of the catchers was talking about how uh, um, he said he threw him like six pitches away the entire at bat and Bauer is never going to run a ball in three, two, unless you've got a base open or something, he's going to stay away. I think Bauer overreacted with his comments, obviously. Um, And, and then he goes on to say, Tatis has got to be already thinking he's going away. In my opinion, Tatis does his work to be ready. And even if you don't do your work, if you throw me six pitches away, my inclination is my body is going to be going away. That's the point of mixing up locations. You don't let a guy consistently get a rhythm, especially a dude like Tatis, which all his pitches were away. So 
of course you're gonna know that that's what's coming and then I think further down another catcher was like even if he did look down at the at the signals there was no real way for him to like actually know what was coming because like he saw the end of it or whatever like looking at the video basically all the catchers were kind of like this is stupid and I'm not surprised because as soon as Trevor was like oh it's not it's fine let the kids play I, I enjoy when uh batters have fun after hitting a home run and blah 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 to me I was like oh he's gonna find something else to complain about then because it's it's Trevor Bauer like I don't whatever so we're back to this unwritten rules thing and again it's Tati Jr and it's just like how can I don't understand how you're fine with one unwritten rule being dismissed which is the don't show up the pitcher which almost any celebration now back in the day would be considered showing up the pitcher so you're fine with showing up the pitcher which is an unwritten rule but you're not fine with looking potentially at the signals which is also an unwritten rule it's stupid like first of all they're unwritten rules it's stupid but then to be fine with some and not with the other is beyond stupid I just don't get it like either you're you want all the unwritten rules to be followed or none of them but you can't pick and choose um moving on I didn't want to spend too much time about it but it's just it's it's stupid um the and I meant to talk about this like a couple episodes ago MLB has uh decided that if 85 percent of tier one uh tier one access people within a team are fully vaccinated then they can reduce some of the COVID protocols and tier one includes like players coaches I believe like pretty much anyone that would have access to the clubhouse it doesn't include journalists because they don't currently have access to the clubhouse um but I'm assuming it's like the clubhouse staff I don't think it would be front office staff I think it's just people who are immediately uh near like the players and coaches um and so far they have four teams that have been fully 85 percent vaccinated plus the two additional weeks after your first dose and those teams are the yankees the tigers the rockies and the cardinals and the only like protocol that i saw that they truly lift is that they don't have to be um masked in the dugout or the bullpen and they don't have to wear um, those sensor things that we talked about earlier in the season or track. I guess they're, they're actually like trackers. Um, and then there's five additional teams who are 85% vaccinated, but they haven't all reached the uh, post two weeks after the final dose. So really nine out of 30 teams are 85% vaccinated, which is pretty good for I guess a month into the season um it'll be interesting once like if you get a whole league like if the National League gets every team full or like 85% vaccinated if that changes even more protocols because obviously they would be there is interleague games but National League teams play National League teams more often so I don't know what other protocols you would lift but I guess you could. I might, I, I, cause this conversation happened in hockey with Robin Lerner. Yeah. And I think for me, 
I think it's okay to start having that conversation of like what protocols are and aren't appropriate as we get more people vaccinated. Because I think if you hear what Robin Leonard is saying, it's not something that, and I think some people just casually dismiss it. And I'm not saying we should give in to everything that Robin is asking for, but I think we should have the conversation because there are very real impacts to players from how, especially, I don't know how the MLB is doing it, but what the NHL is requiring the players this season. So it's not a bubble, but they can't do anything. Yeah, that's they can't, how MLB was. Like they can't go anywhere. They can't, like even when they're on the road with the team, it's so limited in what you mm-hmm. can do. So I think there's a fair question, What, which was always a little dicey what the Capitals got busted for. In earlier in the season where there was just four of them in their rooms without masks but it's like they sit on the bench without masks the whole game like what's the deal here why is that a big deal but if they're all vaccinated why can't they pretty much yeah. do whatever they want with each other on the team because they're all vaccinated and I think Leonard had a point of this was used to get them to get vaccinated mm-hmm. And then if they say, oh, no, we're going back on it, like, that's pretty bad faith. Yeah. And so I think there are a lot of discussions that I can understand why people feel defensive in the beginning, just because there were so so many, restric- like, hesitant to the, to the restrictions in the beginning where they were really needed. But I think that can't prohibit you from having the discussion now, because otherwise, like, you're going to screw up some people's like mental health in like pretty mm-hmm. profound ways and so I think yeah. I think I think there are a lot of discussions that probably have to happen yeah and on um I forgot in the athletic article they did mention some of the protocols that can be um lifted most of them are like within the team and I don't know if it they all because I know at first their COVID protocols also took into consideration like household members so I don't know if this would extend to them as well but it says teams that reach 85% vaccinations they don't have to wear masks in the dugout or bullpen or where the tracking devices um, individuals on those teams will be able to gather for activities in the clubhouse and on team airplanes and buses I think before it was like you really you couldn't get to the clubhouses too early and I know a lot of guys used to get there like hours before a game um, but now it kind of seems like they can get there and like relax with each other and then it said vaccinated individuals will also be tested less frequently and once the team as a whole reaches 85 percent they can dine indoors and I don't really know if that means like those players can like go together to dine indoors or if it means like a player and his wife can go dine indoors and that's fine because technically the the wife and the family are also tier one so I don't really know if I know I said before that tier one was included in the uh, 85%, but I don't think the family is. I think it's just players and staff with direct contact with the players isn't part of that 85%. It's not very maybe clear. I'm, maybe I'm really underthinking this, but to me, it seems like the starting point of like what we're going to be allow people to do on that 85% threshold is the, the like CDC little map thing where they have like the little warning labels with like the green, mm-hmm. yellow, red and stuff. And like, if, if 
a bunch of the things that the CDC says is okay to do without a mask or is okay to do now, but with a mask for vaccinated individuals, if you're trying to prevent them from doing a whole list of those things, that seems a little, I mean, you're just patently not following yeah. the data. I'm, and that I'm hoping... I'm hoping the protocols are more clear to the players and staff than it is to me. That isn't always the case. (laughs) I was going to say, but as we've learned, not the thing. Um, And also, I think I might have mentioned this in the last episode that we did, or two episodes ago. Um, They don't really seem to be enforcing the masks in the dugout as is. Um... Which I will say, a lot of the coaches and players seem better about wearing their masks the entire time in the dugout. Um, And the rules are kind of dumb. And like, if you're on the bench and not actively playing in the game, you can wear a mask. But if you're, or you have to wear a mask, but if you're actively playing in the game, even if you're just the DH, you don't have to wear a mask in the dugout, which seems kind of... To me, Actively playing in the game and being in the dugout are like two mutually exclusive things. Like yeah. If you're in the dugout, you are not in the game. Right. If you are playing, like when you go to take the field, you're in the game. Yeah. Or when you go in the batter's box or whatever. But if you're in the dugout, you're outside the field of play. It's basically if you are listed in the lineup, you do not have to wear a mask in the dugout that game, which doesn't make much sense. Um, And I have seen a few players that aren't in the lineup, at least on Ranger games, who aren't in the lineup and are in the dugout and aren't wearing a mask, or some of them still don't wear the mask properly. But I will say for the most part, they're better than last season, which is a low bar anyway. I think it's just interesting because they said there would be a basically a hall monitor in each dugout making sure they're wearing the masks and from what I've seen no one's gotten fined yet I don't know I don't really trust MLB to actually enforce their rules um especially the Rangers that's another issue I don't want to discuss in every episode so I'll move on um on April 25th which I think was two weeks ago I think after our last two after whatever we haven't discussed it yet uh Bumgarner with the Diamondbacks now pitched a no hitter but it's considered unofficial because it was the second game of a doubleheader and all doubleheader games are seven innings this year um I not to I don't like to both sides any issue but on this one I get it because There is part of me that's like, okay, I get why it's unofficial because it was only seven innings and how many pitchers take no hitters in seventh innings and then lose it in the eighth. So I get why you wouldn't want to call this unofficial because if, if seven innings was the limit for everyone, like you Darvish would have four no hitters by now. And I like, so I get it. There is the other part of me that I was like, well, MLB agreed that seven inning games would be official games for this season if it's a doubleheader so this should be an official no hitter because it was an official game like you could still put a little asterisk next to it I think I think there's there's okay so are we saying it's a no hitter is based on innings or is based on the game 
Because if a no-hitter is based on innings, then if you throw nine consecutive innings of no-hit baseball, so for instance, if Bumgarner started the next game and threw Mm -hmm. two innings of no-hit baseball, then that should be a no-hitter because he threw nine straight innings of no-hit baseball. But if we're saying that it isn't based on innings, but it's a game, an actual game, well, then the innings shouldn't matter. Like, I think you have to kind of clearly define it because... It can't just be like, oh, well, so then any doubleheader game, like, it's it's like it never happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so, because at first when I saw it, I was like, okay, I get why they'd call it an unofficial no-hitter. Because it's seven innings. It's not nine innings. But then there's the other part of me that I'm like, but MLB agreed that these would be official games, so therefore that should be an official no-hitter. Yeah, I just I think there has to be a way where if you have an amazing doubleheader game, like yeah. I said, you either have to, like, if you want to say, oh, well, if you pitch the first two innings of your next start no-hitter, then it's an, a combined no-hitter. That's, yeah. like, something like that. Just something so we have, like, there is a way for Bumgarner to get a no-hitter in that situation. Because otherwise he's going into the game and it's completely impossible which isn't and we're we're all talking about like the sanctity of the record book (laughs) and all of that did Nolan Ryan ever have this issue where there were just games where he flat out couldn't get a no-hitter because it was too short like I don't think so maybe I'm not up on my baseball history so it's like how is that preserving the sanctity of the record book yeah and um I wanted to uh, talk about this one thread that uh, athletic writer Britt Giriel I swear to god I say it differently every episode because I can't pronounce her last name but she had an interesting uh, thread on Twitter and the first tweet was that she got an interesting text from a baseball person and it said so MLB said Bumgarner wasn't a no-hitter because no telling what would happen with more time which is kind of the argument I was making which I, like I get But then their next thing said, then how in the world are the Dodgers the world champions? Which I also get, because if you're going to say it's an unofficial no-hitter, then wouldn't the Dodgers, if you're going to expand it, wouldn't they be the unofficial world champions? Um, And then Britt went on to say, for what it's worth, I do think nine-inning no-hitters are different than seven, but the Dodgers still got the trophy, playoff money, and attention from winning. Which I'm like, okay, I agree with like all of this, which is weird because I like it's weird to agree with like both sides of the argument um and then the other point that I thought was also a really good point is so the Dodgers won the World Series after playing 60 regular season games a good point is that in 2019 the Nationals won and they were 19 and 31 through their first 50 games of the season so like Baseball's meant to be a longer season. And so you could kind of put that argument, it's meant to be a longer game. So I see MLB's point of who knows what would happen. And I feel like I'm allowed to have that opinion because I didn't make an agreement with the players that seven innings were going to be the official games for doubleheaders, but MLB did. So I feel like MLB is not supposed to, me and MLB should not agree on this being an unofficial no-hitter because again it's an official game it's just interesting because what if someone throws a perfect game in seven innings that I feel like is different I think it's just and this is where it's like okay 
I get some of these changes. I get, especially last year, because of all the different stoppages you were having, like, you need to find a way to be able to get as many innings or as many games as possible in. And if you have a bunch of double headers, like having double headers, double headers, double headers, all nine innings, that's a lot to ask for the team to be able yeah. to do realistically. So I get that. However, this is like why you have to think about, which it's still amazing to me that like we kept the seven inning thing, we kept the runner on second, but like the DH thing, we're like, ah, oh, screw that. Right? Like, and I don't the DH get it. thing is the one thing that actually improved the game. And the DH thing is so not controversial because the AL already did it. Yeah. It's like, you, you don't have all of these, well, how are you going to do this? Because the AL already answered all of those questions. And the majority of pitchers don't want to hit anyway. Like, there are some pitchers who don't mind it and will say they enjoy it, but it's only very few. But then, okay, like the Cubs had whatever some insane extra innings game the other day, and they had Jake Arrieta pinch hitting. Yeah, but if they had a DH, no one's gonna say you can't pinch hit Jake Arrieta. Still can do it, right? He wasn't and, that day. And the AL with Shohei um, Otani pitching and also hitting in games that he pitches, they're also doing double switches just like the NL so you could if you had a pitcher that is a good hitter and he was just like no let me hit don't use the DH you could it's not they're not saying that like once you have the DH you can never have a pitcher hit like you could still if you really wanted your starting pitcher or bullpen pitcher to hit in the lineup you could still do it so I don't get why they're so attached to not having a DH um one last thing this is like a housekeeping my own sanity kind of thing um two episodes ago when my rant was about the ghost runners the the runner on second base after the ninth inning um I could not think of the word that I was trying to say in that entire rant and one of my friends and listeners Craig Nakagai on um Twitter messaged me and was like was the word you were trying to think of integrity of the game? And I was like, yes, it was integrity. It doesn't, the having runners on second and extra innings does not fit the integrity of the game. And I was so happy, even though he, I think he messaged me a couple days ago. So this was like two weeks later and I still have not, had not thought of the word, but it, it's such a relief to finally know what that word was because it was killing me. So I will hopefully never forget the word integrity again. <laughs> Um, so I guess we got to move on to hockey. Yes. And this is going to be a hard turn and there's no way. (laughs) Yeah. There's no, I heard Steve Dangle talking about this and he was like, yeah, there's just no good way to do this. Yeah. Pivoting in and out of this. It's just, it's going to suck. So sorry. Sorry. So it emerged before the Canucks were scheduled to play the Leafs that um, there was an accusation, I believe it was from 2017 maybe, against um, Jake Furtanen, who plays for the Vancouver Canucks. And um, obviously trigger warning at all of this, there is sexual assault stuff. I'm not gonna go into any details. I don't think that's super relevant at this moment. Um, But the basic allegation is that this gal who, 
get, agreed to be interviewed with the media outlet and obviously anonymously, but she like, there are stories out there and stuff uh, about this that she and him agreed to meet at a hotel. He uh, pressured her. She said no. He didn't really take that for an answer and kind of going to leave that there. But obviously, um, the Canucks put him on leave. And so he did not play in that game and um, is likely, I would not imagine, given the state we are at the season, how far along we are and um, just how, how everything is. Um, I can't imagine that he would be playing again for this season, um, that there is some, they've engaged, they said they've engaged an outside um, like investigator and counsel to look into this. Of course, they say they take it seriously and all that sorts of things. We don't have a ton of information right now, but the fact of the matter is there's an allegation. It's fairly specific. It's pretty horrible, objectively horrible, and um, it deserves to be taken seriously. And given, I think, given everything that has happened so far, it, I, I think the NHL and specifically the Vancouver Canucks have handled it appropriately right now because they're like, we're not okay with it. We're investigating it. And I have no doubt that if it's, you know, and actually this kind of reminds me of post um post catholic church scandal because I, I grew up mm -hmm. a catholic i'm not really practicing catholic anymore but Same. i grew up and i went to a catholic school and i so i kind of knew a lot about how that worked and in my diocese there and every diocese has an independent panel that's like former like i know a current judge from my city sits on the panel for the diocese and like victims advocates lawyers all of those kinds of things and anyone can bring an allegation to there and it's investigated and if it's determined to be credible then um the diocese can take action on it and I've actually know of it happening whether or not there's anything legal that happens and so I think that's an important distinction it doesn't I mean it doesn't, it doesn't matter if Jake Bertanen ever gets charged. I mean, if he gets found guilty, that's, that does matter because it's like, okay, in the strictest, hardest place to, to get a guilty verdict, he was found guilty. So I don't think we need to go through this whole like independent thing. But absent that, absent a legal complaint, they can still have an outside investigator do the work and say, yes, this is credible. Yes, it's more likely than not that this happened. And the Canucks and the league are more than within their rights to act upon that, even if it doesn't meet some kind of legal proof. Because being a hockey player or not being a hockey player isn't a legal thing. It's like a private thing. And so that I just think that's an important distinction that whatever happens I like you hear innocent before proving until proven guilty and all of that it's just, it's like it's just a, a different version of free speech yeah. it's like no you don't understand what that means and so yeah. I think it's just very important to understand that what the Canucks are doing um can happen with or without any kind of law enforcement investigation is he one of their younger like supposed to be like star players i'm trying no, to okay he's not he's not like amazing okay. um 
I think he's kind of one of their like bajillion like in the middle because okay, gotcha. I was like his I don't know much about the Canucks but his name was at least familiar in my brain so I was just trying to place him there's just a lot of a lot of Canucks players are like yeah. that where it's like they have uh like in the I think I forget and I can look it up on cap friendly but it's something in the middle like mm-hmm. he's not he's not Elias Pettersson or even like a Brock Besser or anything like that or Quinn Hughes is another one I guess a lot of people would know he's not like that he's just okay. I think I was thinking Quinn Hughes in my mind so he he makes two right around two and a half million dollars this year and next year so that's right in low yeah. middle range so no um so like I said there's no good way to pivot into that there's yeah. no good way to pivot out of that but we of course have to talk about climbing the corporate ladder and I was really lazy I just got back from vacation and so I just did and the season is almost completely wrapped yeah. up so I just did uh let's just talk about where all of these matchups stand and of course you can bring in some penguins and stars talk um, <laughs> so the west division so Vegas, Colorado, and Minnesota have all clinched. I believe technically this might have changed, but I believe technically St. Louis, Arizona, San Jose, and LA are technically still in it. However, you can just go ahead and cross San Jose and LA out. They are way too far out to make anything. And even Arizona, um, St. Louis is up five points. There's three games in hand. And with three, they have so they have three more games to play than Arizona does. Mm. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say Arizona probably isn't making that up. They would have to win out. St. Louis would pretty much have to lose out. I don't really see that happening. So that's not really a thing. Right now, based on the standings, the matchups would be Vegas, St. Louis, and Colorado versus Minnesota. There really isn't, like, Vegas hasn't been looking as great of late. Um, but so I think Vegas and Colorado, that's the big thing is who finishes where. Because Minnesota is going to finish third. And St. Louis or the outside chance, Arizona, that whoever that is, is going to finish fourth. But it's Vegas, Colorado, and you really want to be that one seed. Because Minnesota is a far more formidable team than St. Louis. Um and just Kaprizov and all of that, like, and the way they're playing right now, I don't think anyone wants. I think Vegas and Colorado would much prefer to play St. Louis. But that's the matchups right now. Next, the Scotia North Division. So last night, Edmonton clinched. So that makes last night being Monday night, I should say. Uh, Toronto and Edmonton are in. Um, and it would probably almost guarantee that it's going to be in that order. Toronto one, Edmonton two. Um, Ottawa has been eliminated for a while now. Um, technically, Calgary and Vancouver are still in it, but it really seems like it's going to be Winnipeg and Montreal, and the only thing to be determined is which spot is three and which is four. Winnipeg is sinking like a rock because they were second for a while and it was like, oh, it's going to be Toronto, Winnipeg. And then I was like, oh, well, maybe Edmonton challenged them for second. It's like, well, now Edmonton's in second. It's like, oh, well, now maybe Montreal and maybe we can just push Winnipeg back into fourth. They're really not doing well. And their team is kind of ripping apart at the seams. There's something really weird there with the culture and 
I don't know what go- what's going on there, but I think the fact that they like do okay and the fact that Connor Hellebuck is like a top two goalie in this league makes them not do things that they should probably do. Like I think someone like Shifley or Wheeler should get traded because the culture they have there is like it makes it so the young fun players don't enjoy playing there and that ain't a good good. thing Mm -mm. (laughs) no um but the matchups today would be Toronto Montreal Edmonton Winnipeg really interesting matchups also interesting because the north division is obviously the most geographically diverse and it goes pretty far east and west but the matchups would be the two East teams versus the two West teams because Edmonton is, was in the Pacific and Winnipeg is in the Central and Toronto and Montreal were both in the Atlantic. So kind of interesting in that regard. Um, yeah, I think it's, it, it would be interesting to see how it all would work. Toronto has been looking really strong with Nick Foligno added to the lineup and then they put a guy who kind of hasn't really done anything in the NHL. He's been in the NHL a lot, Adam Brooks. Uh, they put him uh, centering the fourth line with Joe Thornton and Jason Spezza, which everyone jokes about, like, that line has over 3,000 points in the NHL, and Adam Brooks accounts for about 30 of them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's really funny. Probably more than that, but, like, the point is, yeah, it's, like, guy and two legends, and so there's pictures, you'll see pictures of him, like, in between the two mm-hmm. of them, and, like, how cool it is, and like he's definitely that's those are memories he's gonna take and they're, they've been killing it they've been absolutely amazing and I've heard oh so at the beginning of the year Montreal traded Max Domi to um Columbus and they got back um and that was largely due to some kind of disagreement with coach and they got back Josh Anderson and Josh Anderson was only going to sign in Columbus for um, one year, which would walk him to unrestricted free agency. So they were like, no, we're going to trade you. And then he promptly signed a seven-year, $5.5 million cap hit contract with the Montreal Canadiens. To put this in perspective, he's had a really pretty good year. Like he's done pretty well. And um, but Jason Spezza and his like 750 grand cap hit has more points than he does this year. So wow, Spezza is killing it for like. And there's like everyone's like, there's no way he's not back next year. So yeah. Um. So with that, moving on to the Mass Mutual East Division, there's been a little bit of jockeying back and forth. But last night, Boston officially clinched the fourth playoff spot. And I just have to say, on TV, on like I was watching NBCSN, there was like the Vegas game or something. And the announcer in halftime was like, the Bruins with the win tonight would clinch a playoff berth and all but eliminate the New York Rangers. Like, no, they wouldn't all but eliminate. They would actually eliminate because there's four playoff spots and Boston would be the fourth team to clinch. <laughs> so, math, there ain't no spot. <laughs> I was just, it was driving me crazy. <sighs> but um, the remaining thing is seating. Um, Boston is kind of 
coming on everyone's tails, which is why I wasn't super keen on playing them. I'd kind of rather not, but it's hard to like engineer that to happen with how close everyone is. Um, Pittsburgh got curb stomped last night against Philly. Uh, that wasn't great. So uh, Washington, it's been a little bit of a flip-flop back and forth between Pittsburgh and Washington for that first spot, but Washington is in it currently. They actually have the same amount of points. Washington just has the tiebreaker. Um, but so right now the current matchups would be Washington versus the Islanders, Pittsburgh versus Boston. So that would be interesting. Um, next, I guess I can say, so like I said, Pittsburgh got crimp stomped. However, Evgeny Malkin was back. So that's exciting. They have a game tonight on Tuesday. So hopefully they look a little better. Um, they might get Brandon Tanner back. Maybe not. I don't know. But Mike Matheson got hurt. That wasn't great. Him and that Cody Cece pairing, that was looking real hot. And I'm not super as excited about something Friedman, Mark Friedman, something like that. He was good, but Mike Matheson has been pretty amazing. So that's where we're at right now. But I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty content just because we clinched the playoffs a while ago. It just kind of is what it is. And last, <laughs> the Central Division. So it's been this way for a while. Carolina, Tampa, and Florida have clinched. Uh, Columbus and Detroit have been out for a long time. Chicago was eliminated last night. So the remaining like teams in it are Nashville and Dallas for the fourth spot. It was a little bit of like a anybody's race just because Dallas had those games to make up and and it could kind of go any way and how's it going to work. And Nashville has put a little bit of distance. So Nashville has 60 points in 53 games and Dallas has 56 points in 52 games. Um, it's a bit of a long shot for Dallas, not to say it couldn't happen, but it's going to take a little bit. It's not completely in their own hands at this point. It would take a little bit of a miracle. Um, the current matchups would be Carolina, Nashville, Tampa, Florida. That Tampa, Florida matchup would be pretty sick. Not going to lie. Um, just obviously that it's hard. Like obviously interstate rivalries are supposed to be a thing, but in Florida for hockey, it hasn't really been a thing. Mm -hmm. So if we could build that rivalry, that would be kind of cool. Um, that said, I think Carolina, Tampa, and Florida would all like to finish first because playing Nashville is way better than playing uh, Tampa or Florida or Carolina, yeah. or whichever one. Um, but it's just, you know, I feel for the stars on this one. And Nashville, okay, some of this is because David Poyles is dumbass. <laughs> He really, really should have, like, done a – like, kind of the Blues did this the year before they won. They were like, oh, we can make it, but it's not looking very good. Like, we don't look like a Stanley Cup team. So what we're going to do is we're going to trade Paul Stasny, and we're basically going to say we're going to not make it this year, but we're going to get some assets and then see where we end up. And then the next year, obviously, it didn't start well, but they ended up winning – um Nashville was really not doing well and it's like okay rebuild time and then they went from that to oh we had a hot streak so now we're just gonna like say f it and just like go for it but they still don't have a complete team like if you look at not just like you can look at their roster you can look at their underlying numbers you look at so much and it's like there are holes that are pretty <laughs> gargantuan and 
I don't know why you would want to go for it then because okay we make the playoffs and we just get absolutely curb stomped and then next year we get eliminated well you could have traded those assets and then been a lot better next year with what you got in return and like just be that much closer to a retool instead of like a full-on like we're gonna have to like tear it down what these teams that like barely make it end up doing is they barely make it, barely make it, barely make it. And then it finally gets to, okay, barely don't make it. Okay, now we really don't make it. And so now we have nothing to show for all of those assets. And then we have mm-hmm. to do a full on like tear down when we could have just retooled. Um, yeah, it just, and the other thing, <laughs> I believe Nashville is the only team with a negative goal differential to be in a playoff spot. And Sounds Dallas, like a winning idea. Dallas, of course, has a positive goal differential and isn't in a playoff spot. I don't think they're the only ones. Yeah, they aren't because the Rangers have a positive goal differential. But at least all of the people above the Rangers also have positive goal yeah. differentials and have higher positive goal differentials than the Rangers. <laughs> oh, this is a great one, too. The only other team with the negative goal differential who's currently in a playoff spot is uh, another one Morgan's going to love. It's the St. Louis Blues. <laughs> and that's not even because they're like, oh, like they're in a similar situation as Nashville. No, there are five teams in the West that have a negative goal differential. And the Blues actually have the best of the worst on that. Oh, my God. Because so... Here are the goal differentials in the West. I got to go through this because it's hilarious. So the Golden Knights have a 57 goal differential, which means they've scored 57 more goals than they've allowed. The Avalanche have 52. So we can tell who the two best teams are. Then the Wild, there's a pretty significant drop off to 28. (laughs) Then the Blues, we go to negative five. And then we go to the Kings with negative 16. The Coyotes to negative 25, the Sharks to negative 39, and the Ducks to negative 52. That's pretty bad. <laughs> oh, my God. There are legit three teams in that set division. <laughs> and so that's that. Uh, yeah, but that's the only other one that has a negative goal differential, and it's because they, there's uh, not enough good teams so it is a little bit of like, and you see the jokes on Twitter of like experienced stars hockey, and it'll be like they have 35 shots and they against the other team, and they haven't scored a goal, and the other team has like four shots and they have two goals or something like that. Yeah, so. pretty much. <laughs> so that's where the stars are at. Uh, the stars can officially be eliminated. Well, as you're listening tonight, if they lose and Nashville wins and. It's bad that I'm hoping it happens because I just want to get it over with and then immediately put Rope Hints on IR, stop playing him for 18 to 20 minutes a game because he's injured. Um, I'm pretty sure Haskinen's injured. Dickinson got injured two games ago. Truly, just play them. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that Sagan is back because I know he's happy to be back. However, it feels stupid to have him back for the last six games when we're not going anywhere. Um, Although he did score the tying goal on Monday's game, which was awesome for him. But at the same time, I'm like, 
why did why why did we bring him back play six games we're not going to the playoffs um that's really all I have to say about the stars because they're all being held together with duct tape um the other thing I wanted to talk about is uh Aaron Portsline from the athletic who covers Columbus this really interesting article about Columbus where he talked to players who left Columbus in free agency anonymously about oh I yeah yeah, about I didn't read it but yeah I saw it it was really interesting because there's a lot of opinions about Columbus and a lot of the opinions stem from the fact that the Red Wings are actually second to last in the central because Columbus is worse than them. And the Red Wings were trying harder to be bad than Columbus was. So that's never a good sign. Um, yeah. And I think of something interesting that came out about it because Ports takes a lot of heat and I think, a lot of that is deserved, but I think some of it isn't. And I think something maybe that the players kind of pointed out is Yarmo Kekalainen, who is the um, GM of the Blue Jackets, maybe doesn't get enough heat. And I saw some really interesting discussions because basically you go into these negotiations and there's a huge advantage. And most teams, if they can avoid it in any possible, like reasonable way, will avoid arbitration with RFAs. And the reason you avoid arbitration is because how arbitration works is the player and his agent goes, this is who I am as a player. This is how much I've been paid in the past. This is what I've done. So I think I deserve this. And the team has to say, you aren't that good. You don't deserve that much money. And so they have to make an argument that of why they shouldn't get paid as much. And Mm -hmm. that never ends well because even if the team gets everything they ask for it creates a relationship where there's no chance they're going to keep the player long term and so most teams just avoid that well Yomo Pickalainen doesn't even need to go to arbitration because apparently it's like nope can't do it you're not worth that and like just really pissing players off in arbitration and so it's like listen I want to play for Columbus but like this isn't Miami like you can't just ask us to take this hometown discount it's not even like I don't know like Washington who's at least won a cup or Mm -hmm. something and asking people to take you can't just ask people to take hometown discounts just because like that's not how anything works and so I think there were a lot of interesting conversations about that um I just think it's going to be interesting to see if Line is even there long term but it's frustrating I, I, I think I get what Torts is trying to do with Line a little bit because he is legitimately not great at defense and but you can't say okay well then just forget that you are like have the Alex Ovechkin shot the closest thing to an Alex Ovechkin shot besides Alex Ovechkin and that you're so amazing at that and just be like this grinding power forward because that's not what he's good at like Mm -hmm. he has an amazing shot that goalies can't stop like maybe let him do that so interesting stuff with that um but that's about what I had for hockey um before we get into ranking Mary, anything else you wanted to cover Morgan um I will say that uh Sean Shapiro did PDO cast oh I heard that 
and I really enjoyed it. And one point that like really stuck with me is he was talking about Hyobin and kind of how he thinks Hidobin did better when he was number two or at least called the number two goalie because he kind of had more of a drive to like prove himself kind of a thing not to say that like Hidobin being number one this year made him slack off but it's just like being in that position it forces you to kind of think differently when you approach There's it a psychological element yeah and I think it stuck with me because um, the Texas Rangers had that same issue with their catchers a couple years ago. And Robinson Trinos was technically the number two catcher for them, but he was outperforming the number one. So he eventually became the number one. But since he was still being called the backup catcher, he just he, he played better. And then the next year when he was the actual number one catcher, he declined. And I just thought it was an interesting um parallel with hockey that the goalies because I've always kind of thought about them as similar positions because they kind of are um I just thought it was interesting to think about Hudobin being called number two how that would change his mindset um from being this year's number one um I just thought it was an interesting thing to point out because I never really thought about it and thinking of how Hudobin hasn't looked as sharp this season but now that he said that I'm kind of more interested in seeing how that plays out in the future even if it's not on the stars um that is a good plug because I did listen to that episode and it was quite good and the PDO cast in general I think is really good Dimitri if you Dimitri Filipovich is who we're talking about if you follow him on Twitter he's like the classic like journalist who also kind of dubs doubles as a shit poster and is kind of funny (laughs) but his the podcast is so different than that it's so like interesting and very mellow and chill but just also like a lot of interesting insights and analytics and stuff like that but it's not always like like it's called the pdo cast and he made a joke about how they never really talk about pdo um and so it's like it's more of just like trying to be honest and to just take an honest look at Mm -hmm some aspect or some team or something like that so definitely good plug um so with that do you want to do our rants and raves yes and so we have a combined rant this yeah week. usually we have a combined rave but this time it's a combined rant and it just got worse today so I was happy we waited because yeah it's like I'm, I have more to say so it's royal related yes of course um, if you listen to the last episode it kind of stems off from that too. So, oh my goodness. (laughs) So where to begin? So this past weekend was Princess Charlotte's birthday, but then also because of like racist abuse and other issues online, uh, soccer or football, if they call it in the UK, uh, fans were doing a social media blackout to like protest this. And so Kensington Royal Twitter account and Instagram account were like, we're joining in and we're going to do this blackout, which is kind of dumb because they don't really, they don't use social media in the way you and I use social media. Yeah, it's more of the household account. It's not their personal Kate and Will are tweeting from it all the time. Yeah, it's more like how Biden uses the POTUS account. Yeah. It is like personal kind of stuff and so 
they don't post on the weekends a lot anyways except for birthdays and even that was like okay so they still had the embargoed photo that all of the reporters shared and the main royal family twitter page shared the photo too so it's like okay so it didn't come from like what does that accomplish i don't get it and they still haven't posted it on the kensington royal accounts but i i just i don't get what that accomplished like what point does that prove i don't i just don't get it and also in doing that he just said like we're joining in the blackout he never said like racist abuse he never can actually say what the issue is and it just is like it's the most milk toasty like lame thing ever and like i think i said this on on Twi- on tumblr it's like less than the bare minimum yeah if you're gonna do this just don't do anything and the the issue i really had is that it was the tweet was from William so ideally he actually wrote the tweet because it's signed W and usually when it's signed with initial it means they wrote it not their like social media person um which I have an issue with him saying he's boycotting social media because he doesn't actually have social media like they could have just said nothing about the boycott only posted the picture for Charlotte's birthday on Sunday and it still would have been a boycott and no one would have been like oh he's president of the fa but he didn't boycott along with the fans like no one would have thought that because it's the household twitter it's not his personal twitter and instead of just like joining the boycott without really saying anything or really even about why yeah but like if he just had a comment or a statement or like had something of like yeah like because it's a business type of twitter account mm-hmm. he could have put out like a statement from the duke of cambridge president yes. of the football association that's like saying how he supports the blackout because blah 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 and that's honestly so much more interesting than i join in the blackout period okay cool what you does mostly that do? have a blacked out social media anyway because you rarely tweet unless it's about soccer or football. Yeah, and it's it's like it felt very hollow. It it was it's like a mirage trying to make you think it's activism that isn't activism. Yeah, it's and then of course today, what does he have? He has the event with Aston Villa, his favorite team, mm-hmm. and I'm just like he's done. He cares and is so passionate about soccer, and that's about it. Yeah, and it's not even soccer. It's specifically like. English Premier League men's soccer Mm -hmm. that's what he cares about and I'm like that's not your job like legitimately you don't need to raise awareness of English Premier League soccer (laughs) people in the UK are aware like we get it and because we we talk if you haven't listened to the episode we did that was just about Royals recently like we talked about in there, the only time he ever signs off on a tweet is if it's related to soccer. And he doesn't do it for like any of his other charities or work. Like it's just like, and why it took is it that forever the thing? to even get women's soccer involved in the personal tweets too? It's just, <laughs> it's so lame. He's at his best. Like, and I'm not saying currently, because I think he is capable of so much more. But right now, his best is, like, 
like the human I always like the human embodiment of the color beige that's his like best accomplished like when he's at his best and when he's at his worst he's like you are a privileged entitled douche and this is what this is all (sighs) feeling like yeah and um like it goes with what I want my rave to be about but it it makes ending that week on a boycott of social media after they just had a great week of social media was just like the cherry on top of ridiculousness yeah um, it's I think between him and Charles I don't have a super lot of confidence in the future yeah. of the monarchy yeah if the monarchy is going to do well it's going to be because of Camilla and Kate yeah for sure okay <laughs> I think it's time we need to do right yes I can go first. Okay. Uh, so my rave is hockey related. Um, Chris Johnston, who is a Sportsnet reporter, one of the like, top insiders in hockey, also just a great human. He His episodes of the Steve Dangle podcast, or really any podcast that he's on, are always amazing. He's He has the right amount of humor and good insights and just like tell it like it is. Well, he is in the beginning of COVID. Uh, started running every single day which more power to him because I could never and on his year anniversary of beginning running he decided to do a marathon for um, Concord raising money for Concord COVID which is the Canadian charity that has done really amazing things and he and the person he's running with I think raised over ten thousand dollars and he ran a marathon in like three hours and 33 minutes or something insane like that, which is pretty amazing. And then he did it all while wearing a shirt that said juggernaut, which is like a hockey Twitter joke, because he said at the beginning of the year, I'm just going to say it like the Habs are a juggernaut. And then they proceeded to lose a bunch. And then he <laughs> made a joke that like, yes, you asked for it. So the Leafs are a juggernaut. And then the Leafs begin to lose a bunch. <laughs> and so- it's kind of funny um but he's just a really cool person pretty universally liked uh my players fellow reporters just so many people and so it was pretty cool to see him do and the conquer covid charity and just a lot of people involved were really big in promoting it elliot friedman who's like now that bob mckenzie has retired is like the number one hockey insider I think most people would consider covered it like it was a sporting event like tweeting <laughs> out a video and like like talking about like it, it was pretty cool and there were so many not even just Sportsnet because obviously in Canada there's Sportsnet and then there's TSN yeah they're like competitors and a lot of TSN reporters were saying really nice things and uh, donating and stuff like that so I thought it was pretty cool uh, so my rave is royal related like I alluded to and so Kate and William's 10th anniversary was last Thursday and that's like that their wedding was like what made me like interested in all royals really but British royals um and so I think if you keep up with royals we kind of expected them to release a new photo celebrating their 10th anniversary and usually photos get released like midnight in like England time uh for like because they're embargoed until then and so then they get released which I think is like 
six o'clock here or something. Um, and so we got two photos, which was like amazing because I was honestly expecting just one and we got two and they were really cute. But then um, I guess it would have been afternoon for them, but morning for us, they released an adorable video that I think was very unexpected because I, I was hoping they would release a third picture. And I said this on Tumblr that I was thinking it would probably be more of like a casual, like them in the country kind of photo. And instead we got a full video of them with their kids and it was like a montage video. It very like, like indie music, like music video kind of a thing. And I just really enjoyed it. Someone, um, one of uh, a style blogger I follow on Instagram said it kind of looked like a, um, an ad for like Ralph Lauren or Barber jackets which it kind of did but it was just a really cute video and I watched it like a million times because it was just adorable um which is why when William tweeted literally the next morning that they were boycotting social media which is why I was upset with that because it was like you just posted a really great video on your Instagram and social media and it got so much attention and people were loving it and then you're gonna even though they probably weren't gonna tweet or post anything that we get except for the picture of Charlotte it still felt like why would you do that after you do so well on social media but anyway if you are interested in the royals and you haven't seen that video I highly recommend it because it's just adorable even if you don't like William and Kate their three kids are running around and giggling in it and it's just super cute and every video with the kids has just absolutely slayed because there was that one. There was the three kids asking David Attenborough a question. Yes. Where Louis famously said animal. Um, <laughs> and then there was the one in Kate's garden where they were all running around. Yeah. So many good videos. Kids it's just adorable. Like, because Great content. Yeah, because they're royals, but they're they're still kids. So it just makes it so much cuter. And especially for me, the accents are even extra adorable on top of that um so one thing I wanted to talk about this is totally random but I just want to throw out if you need some feel-good stuff yes, another like always. bonus rave so my mom and I watch Jeopardy and we report to every night and last week they um well we watched this weekend because I was out of town last week but one of the, the all last week they were doing a thing with uh Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville and he has like a housing village thing and it was like a contestant the contestants had an opportunity to win a home it was like one of the prizes in the final thing and the lady actually won a home and it was so amazing she's like you could tell she had like she was not even remotely thinking that was possible and so very fun stuff so that's so exciting just fun content if you want more I always like like happy fun videos yeah just wanted to throw that out there um with that I guess we'll see you all next week um have a good week everyone